everybody. Welcome to the next episode of Losing Your Mind with Chris Cosentino. I am here in very sunny, warm Napa Valley today with Peter Stetna. And uh, I'd like to welcome you. I know you've got a crazy schedule. You have been racing a lot, training. Your schedule is insane. You are skinny as all get up. (laughs) (laughs) That's a compliment in cycling. It is a compliment in cycling. So, Peter, first off, I want to ask, and I think for a lot of people, how, and your history in cycling goes deep. Oh, yeah. Through your family. So yeah. do you want to kind of give everybody a little intro into that and what kind of pressure or not pressure that does for you? Uh, yeah, my uh, my dad and my uncle were uh, the American dynamic duo in the 70s and early 80s. Uh, they uh, they tag team a lot of the U.S. circuit um, and a lot of the, like, the Pan Am games, that kind of stuff. Um, my dad was more the climber. My uncle was more like the one day puncher, small group sprinter guy, and they they cleaned house. And um, yeah, but a lot of people figure it was just kind of like pushed into the sport. But um, I I found it on my own actually through the mountain bike. And then once I did, I had that family uh, background to kind of go off of. And and my uncle works for Shimano, so I was able to get used parts cheap. And then then yeah, the the family name's there. But uh, yeah, I. I enjoyed it on my own first, which is good. That's great because I think there's a lot of there's always people that you see that get pushed in a sport and they get the traditional burnout, like push, 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 push. Yeah. And you, so you started mountain biking. Yeah, man. Yeah, I love the dirt. The dirt was my original love. Um, I was a soccer player and my buddy was into mountain biking and we would bring our bikes to the tournaments on the weekends and then go find trails afterwards. And then uh, my first race was actually the 24 Hours of Moab. Yeah, on a, a com- the YMCA Y Riders team. Uh, That's amazing. Five of us <laughs> racing through the night. All the parents drove out, you know, and we had all the camping and all that. And yeah, it's it's amazing how much fun a twenty four hour event is, and how much excitement it gets people. It was rad, and you know, and this was the heyday of twenty four hours of Moab too, which was just a party out in the desert. And, and what was, year was this? This would have been two thousand one, maybe. Wow. Yeah. I think so. Somewhere right in there. I think I was about 13 or 14 years old. Yeah. <laughs> that that does make me feel old because I think <laughs> I was I was racing in those series and I didn't ever get to Moab because ah. by the time Moab happened I was pretty fried by the end of the year. Mm. But uh yeah, that's a that's a humdinger out there. It was rad. It was so much fun. I remember I had the dawn lap which was the coldest lap. You know, it's that's when it gets the very coldest before the sun peaks and you're on with those lights and all that and i'd forgotten an undershirt so i was borrowing my mom's like purple flowery smart wool thing or whatever and it was <laughs> we have pictures of it still in the house but see that to me is what makes it so much fun like the dawn hour was my favorite yeah. we used to call it the witching hour like you go out you're still super groggy you're kind of falling asleep and then the sun comes up and then you become a new human again all of a sudden you're like Oh my God, I can go fast again. It's yeah. Like the sun. Totally. And you get recharged, right? Totally. Yeah. So, how did that transition into? Did you just continue mountain biking? Were you starting to do races from there? And then. Yeah, I grew up in, in Boulder, Colorado. So, hotbed of cycling. And there's mountain bike races all summer. Road racing scene is strong. And uh, so, I started out doing more mountain bike races, all like the mountain series. And then uh, you start doing, hopping in road races, the local crits. And then, you know, you kind of you win like 30 bucks in one and that light bulb goes off of like, wait, I can make money doing this, you know? <laughs> and then, then, you know, you start, if, you know, I was good enough that I had to start racing the elites to get the competition and you get noticed by, you know, the national team and all that. And then the family named help too. Cause they were like, okay, this kid's got, you know, he's got pedigree so to speak. And uh, then it was just tra- traditional pipeline, like U S national team. And also, uh, the very early days of Botter's slipstream Garmin program, you know, that was, I was his original racer on a local Colorado junior team. Oh, wow. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. That's, <laughs> it was fun. <laughs> it's, it's, it's awesome to see people getting to do what they want because they dream in it. Yeah, no, it was, it was really fun. And, you know, it was, uh, yeah, it was, I had a lot of help through my career. I was definitely not one of those, one of those stories like, you know, one of my best friends, Keel Ryan, is the total opposite. Like he was a rower, and he was never had the support, and he found his way to the pro tour. And I, I'm definitely 
the other the other mold where it was there was a clear pipeline and, and a thought and it was just my motivation if, if I wanted to go that way. So So did you ever ask for help? Did you ever ask for guidance? You know, that's because that's kind of a okay. from my parents, you mean? Or yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, so, I mean, what does that must be like? It's like, hey, you know, like, well, I'm like a genetic clone of my dad. Like, even our photos look the same and all that. So, it was, you know, he was like, oh, I've, oh, yeah, I've done this all before. Like, my dad was more of the climber. Like I said, I'm a pure climber, all that. So, he coached me when I was a junior, you know, and he would see that's great, you know, and, and we have, you know, the Setna clan there's stories of you know my my grandpa was this super anal like hardcore army dude and he was the guy like that super soccer parent so to speak of of cycling and like driving his boys all around the midwest and there's scary stories about grandpa roy and some of that was in my dad of like so after every race my dad would just dissect it and just beat it until death of like all the tactics and what went right and what went wrong and all that but you learn and then he also coached me because he was like, hey, this worked for me, for example. So he had all these tricks of being a pro and, you know, of how to do the recovery rides right and how his body responded to certain stimuli or whatever. And so uh, he coached me for a while until there was too much of the the father-son headbutting and then I needed a real coach. So, yeah. <laughs> that happens no matter what. Yeah. We, we, yeah. You know, I, I'm in the same boat. I don't coach my son, but I try to push him into something. And there he's, you go. It, he looks at me and it's like, it ain't happening. Yeah, and then you can just tell your friend, like, hey, just tell him this, and your buddy will do it, and it'll work, you know? But it's like, it just can't he, come he from that. He can't hear that podcast. He can't hear this because then he'll be like, oh, <laughs> is he telling me to do that? That means he's telling me to do that. <laughs> Trust nobody. Happening. Trust no one, yeah. yeah. 14 years old, he's not trusting anybody no. right now. He's definitely not. <laughs> so as you're progressing and as you, you, you're transitioning and you're starting to see, like, that 30 bucks here, 40 bucks there, like, did you ever think you would be doing what you're doing right now? Was that was that the goal or was it just, hey, man, this is so much fun. And I'm making, you know, I'm getting to pay for my parts. I'm not, you know. Yeah, no, it was just, it was fun. And I still love racing. It's it's not a job to me. I mean, right, there's rainy days when you're training and you, it feels like a job. But no, I mean, I love it. And it was always, uh, yeah, it, it just was the natural path and eventually it became a career and I, I was always going to be a professional sportsman I mean I was type a super competitive I mean I would race you in peeling an orange if you told me to man like I just I need to, yeah I want to be careful win. on that <laughs> you'll peel your finger off <laughs> yeah so now you you had a transitional year last yeah. year yeah yeah I yeah. had a tough one yeah and I read all about it yeah and but I think I've been watching and, you know, you're, you're up in Santa Rosa. You're really mm. close to us. You've been in and out of all the different events locally. We see you around town. I see you riding here in Napa. I've seen you at Fish Rock, which yeah. was a nightmare. Got me ready for Liège and all that. Same weather. So Same. Oh, man. That yeah. was, I mean, we had, what, snow, rain, hail. Oh, yeah. They delayed it an hour for snow on the top of the mountain and stuff. But then by the, the time we started, it was raining. So oh, yeah. It was just was... freezing rain. Just yeah, 38 in rain, no problem. The whole day. <laughs> the whole day. But yeah. I was finishing and you were driving away. I just I, I wanna was put that. I was on the horn. You just, were horning at yeah, me, yeah. but it was pretty much I was like, oh God. This well, I was is just so like, bad. Fuck man, everyone that's out in this stuff right now. I was out there for the least amount of time of everyone and I was miserable. So I was driving back. I was like, everybody needs to pick me up. Because I know coming back on that final road, like all the fun is done and you're just like, get me the hell home, man. Like, get me my beer. And so I was just, <laughs> everyone I passed that was on the bike, I was just, I was nailing it. Well, it was so funny because I come up and over and I was like, oh, there goes, oh man, if he's been done for that long, <laughs> I really am not having a good day. Yeah. So what what was your, as as transitioning into the pro tour, what has been, for, for a lot of folks, I don't think they understand how much effort and how much time that you're putting yeah. in on the bike. And I think, you know, People yell at the television always when they, I mean, trust me, I do it too when I'm watching the races. Oh, yeah. And and I think people kind of need to get a real understanding. I sat down with Bob Roll. You know, he does live around the corner from my house. And we talk about, mm -hmm. you know, what was it like when he was training? But training's so different now. Back then it used to be feel. It used to be yeah. guessing it. And now you're working off, you know, watts and power meters and recovery. So Kind of give everybody an idea of how much time you're on the bike. What are you? What is like a regular week for you? And yeah. This um, week, I know you said is pretty big for you. Yeah. No. It's um. 
it's it's a full-time job and uh you don't really get weekends um and it's it's a lifestyle you know so it's it's beyond just the training ride you know i'm probably putting in 25 to 30 hours of bike time a week so you know one or two rest days and everything else is four to six hour rides always and what's um, an average with mileage with something like that um honestly and then this is a pro tip is i don't count my miles or kilometers at all like um it's all time you know because if you're climbing a ton of mountains as i always am i'm doing all my efforts on mountains you're gonna do a lot less mileage so actually it's all about time i just i like today's four hours with three passes or today's two hours with short hills or whatever you know um I so I honestly couldn't even tell you a shot in the dark. I don't know how much miles I'm putting in. But I'm doing I'm sure there's somebody who's monitoring those yeah. numbers that can oh, tell yeah, me. Oh yeah, yeah, the coach could know, but uh, um but yeah, and then so I'm doing 4 to 6 hour training rides. Um every workout is uh for a while I had to write it on my stem. It's like a prescription with my coach. I mean, it's, you know, it's this amount of time warming up, this amount of time at this wattage on the flats this on this climb and within the climbs you break it down so it's three minutes at this medium pace boost it up to two minutes into high tempo bring it back down buffering the lactate back and forth so it's like a paragraph long every workout so it's it's really hard like i'm very rarely just riding with someone like that's a treat to just like go ride that happens when i start training in the fall you know in the in the winter fall um it's yeah everything is i'm out there working really um and so that's why I was like, yeah, like, I think I have a rest day on Thursday. Like, let's, you know, like, we could actually just cruise, you know, and that's a treat. And then, of course, something flipped around and I had all this crap happen. And I was like, oh, no, I have to go do four by four minute VO2s today on the hill. And like, you know, <laughs> so let's meet this afternoon. Um, but and then the rest of the, the lifestyle, you know, it's a uh, it's all the stretching afterwards. And you really have to think about what you're eating and when you're eating. And I mean, you know, this world of all like the carbs at the right time and the grams of protein and all that and um yeah so it's it's a it's a full-time thing um and then there's the very important times when you actually can just let it go and then those are those are saviored so and i think that's really you know training is a job yeah this is your job yeah even though it's your job it's still fun every day and you yeah. do i mean there's moments when we don't have smiles on our faces when we're doing right. our job everybody exactly like the day that the dishwasher doesn't show up and I'm in the dish pit or, <laughs> you know, something doesn't arrive, but yeah. everybody has that in their world. But I think, I think it's for someone who doesn't understand, they look at it and they go, Oh man, that life's glorious. Yeah. No, not so much. It's like, there's no. only so many days you can sit in a wet chamois. Oh yeah. Yeah. And you this know, year there's been more, more wet chamois days than, than normal too. Um, oh, it's been a big it's wet been, chamois it's a, it's a, it's a, Yeah. It's been a wet chamois year. Um, yeah, you know, and it's 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 just a different life. I mean, I couldn't, you know, I raced through Paris and the Tour de France and all that and all over the world, but, like, I've never been to the Louvre. I couldn't tell you what, like, Paris is like, but I could tell you, like, what random little town in the middle of nowhere with, like, grandma flapping her, her laundry out in the air, you know? Like, I know, like, what rural life and the feeling of the country is, but I've never touristed, really. Um so and I think just, that's a good that's a really great point because a lot of people's perception is yeah you're in you're going to Europe yeah but they don't realize you're, you're on a job you're on the job yeah that's like saying oh man you know what when so and so played in the Super Bowl they get to hang out with the cheerleaders no it doesn't happen like that <laughs> yeah you're, exactly you're working yeah so but no it, it's a great job though too it's a fun lifestyle and you know it is finite i mean as a sportsman you're not going to you ain't going to go forever and i mean i've had setbacks in my career where you really realize that and you makes you hungry and you appreciate it more too so yeah like last year last year was a tough one and i thought i was done so this year i'm actually having more fun than i've had since probably my neo pro year i really am like and the the gravel and all the new races are kind of part of that but it's just you're you're appreciating it more so now is that a decision that you brought to the table about being able to do things like DK and and heading out and go doing Belgian waffle and Leadville, you know? Yeah, um, no, that was really my decision. Um, you know, I kind of was struggling last year with with the health stuff, and I I wasn't sure I was gonna be able to stay in the World Tour. I mean, results are important. Pro sport, I mean, it's cutthroat. If you don't have, it, you're only as good as your last result. That's that's all cycling. Um, and. Uh, I was starting to think, you know what, maybe it's time to like try something else, but like, you know, I can keep riding a bit. Um, 
and and you see this transition where in the world tour is all fine and healthy right like tour de france is doing just fine tour california is doing great but in the u.s the road cycling scene is struggling a lot teams are drying up a ton of riders flooding the market um sponsorship for races are drying up races are disappearing and at the same time you have this whole adventure race moving you know like the grasshoppers are just packed with people uh oh, dirty kanza what was there at uh the first one this year 350 something like that maybe it, more yeah it's insane and then you think about it it's totally started as a grassroots yeah 20 people would show up if you're totally. lucky and it's amazing. And it's 21 years old. Yeah. That series is 21 years old. Dirty Kansas, a lottery to get in. Leadville's a lottery to get in. Like, these are... And so I was like, this is American cycling right now. Like, this is where the passion is. I was like, this is where... I I started on the dirt. I always figured I would go back to the dirt a bit. And I want to do this. So uh, I started actually planning on doing some of that. And Trek came back. And they're like, no, Pete, we want you to stay. Like double down like you got this and they put the faith in me and i said okay thank you but i really think that this is worth it like i I have a proposal calendar it's on the side and people it's not getting in the way of the other like if i'm in the u.s training and i can go to this race that's much better of a day than just riding on my own out here well you're putting in maximum effort you're pushing and you're marketing the trek bike to exactly 1500 people that all buy their bikes like i mean this is it's great and and this is where all the excitement is and all the innovation in the industry is because you don't have the uci strangle holding all the all the rules for 1960 or whatever and like this is where bike companies can actually make gains and, and launch new product right now and so do you see some of that transition coming that they're the innovation they're putting in in the gravel bikes and in this gravel world are you starting to see some of that transition i mean into the the, the world tour do you think you're going to see some of that i don't know i think you're seeing the boom of gravel enter the world tour like in uh the tour of the Basque country this year we had dirt sections the tour they just had that uphill dirt finish yep. a week ago like i think that's popular but they're still very different um technologies of course know? but there's you um, know you never know what's going to come never know one. man i mean well you have to have a special bike if you're going to have a strada bianchi day and the giro or whatever you're going to need a special setup for that yeah. um strada bianchi the one day race is one of the most popular it's only like 10 15 years old or something but it's already one of the most popular world tour one days uh, have you done that race yeah yeah i love it Fucking love Were it, you man. covered in the white powder like everybody talks about? Oh yeah, or yeah. white mud or whatever. Yeah, and I didn't have a. I had dry years, but uh, yeah, no, it was fun. Um, so anyway, so I went to and I Trek was kind of like, huh, really? And and then they talked to Trek Marketing, and Trek Marketing was like, hell yeah, that's a great idea. And so now it's yeah, I've just done a, a very select calendar when it's not in the way of my World Tour calendar of these these fun races, and if I am at home. Then I can I have the the freedom to hop in other ones. You know, for example, I was home in the spring and I was like, "Hey, fish rock's going on. What do you guys think?" And they're like, "Go for it, dude." So, so that's and it that's, worked out for you year. pretty yeah. well too. Yeah, exactly. And you know, and did you make it home in time for dinner? I did. Yeah, <laughs> that's good. I yeah. didn't. <laughs> no, probably not. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> How long did it take you to do fish rock? I don't remember, man. I- I'm just curious because I don't know because I, I remember I, my time. I was pretty psyched that I finished in better time than the year before, and the year nice. before was a dry year. Okay, but I was still on the bike as oh, you were. Jamming. Yeah, I was nice. like, oh, it's so yeah. rough. <laughs> that was yeah, that was top five coldest days on the bike for sure. Yeah, I would say so. Yeah, for me, yeah, for sure. The only nice thing is I wore everything. I mean, we have like this neoprene one piece from our clothing spot. I wore everything, and that was good because. The problem is, like, the worst day was actually in the Dauphiné this year because it's a race in June, and all of a sudden we had freezing rain and hail. I and saw you're that. in, like, shorts, you know, and you're trying to, like, get all your stuff. It's, it's all preparation, you know, and that's that's the difference. Well, you start the day fully loaded, and then it's yeah. hot, and then by and the time— And in World Tour racing, you know, and that kind of brings it back is actually, like, we talked about, like, how— the lifestyle and how cutthroat it is. I mean, modern cycling, like you just saw in the tour, and this is every race I can, talking to my wife, she can vouch for it, but like you take the wrong way in a roundabout at your one host. moment, your race is done, man. Like those guys lost two minutes because 
they did one spot that was 10 feet longer than the next guy. I and was blown away when throat, I saw that. You know, and so in, in World Tour Racing, all right, so you, if there's a climb, the level is so high and so competitive now, literally, if you have half a bottle extra, like, you, that could be the, the difference between being dropped and making the selection on the climb. And so, like, yeah, you need to think about, okay, I could suffer without a rain vest because that's going to get bogged down with water, but I'll go 10 seconds faster on this climb and I'll do my job and make the selection. And that that's modern cycling now. It is a quarter of a percent here and there. Well, I remember watching Pontani climb hmm. and he would <laughs> start to tear stuff off. Yeah. He would literally, it was like bottles would go. Yeah. And he would literally take out his earrings. Yeah. And throw them. Oh, wild. I didn't know that. You That's could, next there's level. old school videos That's, of him like next dumping level. everything he could get his hands oh, on. Or such an anal breed, man. Jesus Christ. It's pretty <laughs> funny, right? Like yeah. you think about that stuff and it's like, I look at all that and you hear, and just like you're saying, it's just part of the culture right. of cycling. Right. It is a pretty OCD thing. It is. It's it's nuts. It's like, you know, the measurement, the tire pressure, the saddle yeah. angle. I hope like when I retire, I hope I can turn that off. And you don't know if you ever will be able to, you know, because like right now, like, you know, I could you, you still have that tick. And like I could tell you how many calories are in that apple, you know, and I'm like <laughs> and you got to think like, OK, should I eat that right now? And like and but the thing is, you've done it for so long and you know all that, like. I'm, I'm not going to care about eating the apple or having the beer, but I think that's always going to be in the back of your mind is like. Well, that's going to go on there and then it's going to, you know, like you're you're still going to know. And yeah. I don't know if you can ever turn that off. And I hope you can. I hope I can just crack a beer because I want a beer. What's interesting Without is... Without having to deserve it, you know? <laughs> that's a very... You know, people say ride more, drink more. Right. You know, you ride more it's to eat model. more. Yep. But I think it's so... You know, it's it's very telling your things that you're saying because, you know, having a bunch of friends that live in this area that are raced on the World Tour formally and they can get back on a rig and just gone. Mm-hmm. Still. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I've been out on rides and literally watched people take leg warmers off while fully pedaling descending. Yeah. <laughs> I'm looking at, like, in fear for their life. And they're like, oh, no, this is nothing, dude. And I'm just yeah. like, what are you doing? Yeah, yeah. But they've been off the bike racing. Not that they've been off the bike in everyday yeah. life, but they've been off the circuit for 10 years. Yeah. yeah. And it's just something that, I guess, never goes away. Yeah. It's a skill set you've, you've ingrained yeah, in yourself. Yeah, it's that 10,000 hours thing, man. Like, yeah. It's crazy. Yeah, right? you, 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 you've got skills in chefing it up that, you know, you'll always be able to whip out whenever. You know? I, I hope so. If, if for I, sure. If I, if yeah. I don't get too old and, yeah. and break down. But I think there's, there's something to be said for that element of what you're talking about is like, really, when will that click off? Mm-hmm. Will that part stop? I mean, will you always have that in your head? That's an interesting question. I'd be curious to check. Yeah, we'll see. Let's, I'll, let's find out. You know, what? I'm going to ask. Let's get dinner in like 30 years. And, 30 yeah, years, and we'll yeah. talk about yeah, it. Man. I mean, because there's a whole slew of folks out there that I still, I look at them and go, "You're still way fast. You're still super competitive." You're like, "Yeah, we're just going to go for the ride." And I'm like, <laughs> "Dude, where are you?" Like. Anyone that makes it to the top too, they're a type A, like super competitive person too. So like they'll always have that. You have to. Yeah. You have to. I mean, it's definitely, it's how you got to where you are. Yeah. Because it's, it's the no give up. I want to be there because I want to be there Mm -hmm. attitude. And I think that's something that from some, like for me with cooking, it's always been skateboarding. Mm. That's how it started. Okay. I fell down. I would get up to do the trick and then I'd fall down again and. You don't Damn. stop till you land it, right? Yeah, and if you okay. watch, all those kids do that. That's crazy. Right? That's, yeah. We've, you know, you say that's crazy. You fall yeah. down on a bike. There's, you yeah. know, that's not, the, the get up isn't as easy as. Yeah. Right? Uh, it's different too. Every, it's it's just what you're into too, I guess. It must be, it's, that's got to be a question on passion, right? Like, and, and your motivation. Exactly. Because like, you know, I'll talk to downhill mountain bike racers. They're nuts. And I'm, yeah, see, you, you're with me. Like, these guys are just bombing through these trees in these rock gardens. They are insane. But those guys are like, dude, we're all in full armor. You're in a glorified underwear that's racing <laughs> down mountains at 60 miles an hour. Like, you're fucking crazy, you know? I've, so I've heard that before. I call it, it really a superhero is, costume yeah, lately. Yeah, and so it's just, uh, yeah. 
glorified underwear. I like that one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's a new one. That's a new one. I okay. always call it a superhero costume. I mean, we're pretty much wearing a diaper, so I just... Pre- pretty much a glorified <laughs> diaper, yeah, an yeah. adult. So when you start looking at events and you set... Do you set your schedule? Do you do you kind of say... No, it's, it's all the team and then their goals. But it's, at least with Trek, it's very much a conversation. I mean, sometimes they're like, you got to go this race, dude. Sorry. But a lot of the times it's they know a happy racer is a fast racer and they know what will motivate you. And they also know that I ain't going to do anything in Flanders. Like, it's just, why would you send Pete to Flanders? That's a bad idea. Nothing good happens there. So, (laughs) so they're going to send me in all the climbing races and then it's, they're going to know like, Oh, don't try to push him into the Giro. He wants to do tour of California. That's the home race. That's where he cares, you know? And so, of course, no, Trek's really good about that. Um, and then it became once they said okay for like the alternative calendar, they just uh, that was more of a conversation of like okay, like Dirty Kansas for sure can happen because it's after Tour California, it's before Dauphiné or Swiss, whichever one you would do. So like if you're totally you're at home, then no problem. So talk a little bit about like you did Belgian Waffle, yeah, which I've. That's I've, rad. You got to go next year. Yeah, yeah, next year it's on. Do it. I've I heard you say that it was like full out, full gas from the get go. Oh yeah, they said there was a neutral start and there was no neutral. Like guys just yeah, supposedly neutral till the first dirt section. Guys just start attacking like two minutes in because everybody wants to hit that it. single speed. Yeah, but, single track. Right? Oh yeah, and that single track was like twenty minutes away, but guys are still just it's on. <laughs> the <They're, laughs> you know. The rules are more guidelines. <laughs> so, you so the alternate events that you chose to do, yeah. Well, it's so it was Belgian waffle, dirty Kansas. Uh, like when I'm home, I did the Fish Rock. I did Tahoe Trail 100 because I missed the tour. Um, and there's uh one more coming up, and I'm not allowed to announce it until like the team is ready. Okay. One more big one. Yeah. So you tell me when you want me to drop this podcast. How about we'll wait till after. Okay, yeah, yeah. No, I'm well, it'll happen soon. So Perfect. Um, I can't wait to see. Yeah, I'll be I'll be at the Leadville 100. Nice. Yeah, getting back to my dirt roots. Um that's going to be fun. I've always wanted to do that one. Are you riding a hardtail? Are you riding? Oh yeah. Fast, right. fast and light. Nice. Single super light hardtail. I got a dropper post on cuz the it descents can be gnarly. Cuz I'm yeah, I'm I'm still got roadie skills. So, yeah, um no, uh you know, a lot of guys think uh, they know Trek has a new superbike coming out, but it's just not quite ready in time. So um, I'll be, you know, versus the full suspension, like, I mean, and that's a pedally course, you know, and I'm used to pedaling and even on bad roads and wherever, getting jackhammered for a while, like Fish Rock or, you know, so yeah. it's, I, I, I think the hardtail's the fastest. If you're going to race to perform, it's hardtail's the t- ticket. For sure. Yeah. It's, uh, that's a great event. It's. I'm stoked. I'm really happy is, to Will this it. be your first time? Yeah. Yeah. I had a blast doing it. Nice. I love it. It's super fucking cold in the morning. <laughs> oh, I believe it. Yeah. 12,000 feet at 6 a.m. Oh, it's, but it's, it gets super hot, super fast, and uh-huh. it's just super fun. The descent down from the mine is epic. Okay. It's so fun. Okay. But the power lines on the way back in. Uh huh. Okay. Yeah. I'm we'll just, see, man. <laughs> I'm just, it's, I we'll loved see. it, but see, you have gears. So you're yeah. good. I know, right? Like th- that's even more masochistic. That's insane. I didn't. Yeah, just that it'll, was just dumb. It'll be fun though. It's like it's not really like team uh, support. I mean, they give me the the equipment, but like, I mean, I I'm flying my wife out, and you know, she's gonna be in there in the aid station with holding a musette bag, which she's never done before, and we're gonna have fun. It's gonna be uh, yeah. A it's an weekend. awesome town. It's really beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've been through Leadville growing up in Colorado. I'm stoked to go back, you know. It's it's great. So. I wish I could go this year. I would love to see this. It would be a fun <laughs> event. I, and all I, the EF guys are coming. Yeah, it's... Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. It's Who's part of their out? alternate. I'm sure Lockie will be there. I don't know who else. I think they have, like, one or two others coming. Oh, wow, so. that's great. Lockie's kind of their figurehead for all their alternative stuff, you know. So Is it fun to be racing with a lot of the guys that you've known for years? Yeah, I mean, it's all... And yeah. do you race when you're over and when you when you do you know stay over in in Europe? Are they all in that same area as you? Yeah, yeah, we're all in Girona still. Kind of that that core group. You know, I grew up racing with Alex Howes and TJ um, and Keel, and we all kind of went there to Girona first because of the slipstream days. So we're 
I mean, now we're all like the old vets, like we're the original Girona guys, you know, like no one, uh, yeah, everyone else keeps coming and it's, it's packed now. It's probably the most popular place in the world for cyclists. It's insane. It's overrun actually. It's kind of annoying, but, um, <laughs> it's just, you can't go anywhere without just running you know, into someone. Yeah. Always. Yeah. Whether you know them or not, but just, there's probably 10 cycle cafes and they all cater to the tours and the tourists and all the, it's, it's. Madness. Oh, so now the tour companies are going. Oh, yeah. So, no, I, I mean, it is the most popular place in the world for bike riders right now. Like, all the industry is set up around these tours because, so what happened is JV and, and Garmin set up the, the team base there because that's where uh, Hincapi and, and JV had, and Lance had based out of when they were racing. Um, and he knew it was a good spot. Um, it was a sleepy little Catalan town. Not anymore. And no, not at all. Now it, there's no culture shock. Now it's like California. I can get avocado toast on every corner and organic coffee, like that. That. <laughs> so we come there and we had like this dungy little apartment with cockroaches that this team director owned and just dripping water everywhere. And we would we were doing the races and then uh, Orica Green Edge Michelton. Now uh, they you know brought their service course there. A couple other teams started coming there. It kind of became like the Anglo, you know, homestead or in Europe, the, the Anglo base for all the English speaking pros. But then all the tourists and all the fans caught onto that. So then people started setting up tours and going there to ride where the pros rode. <laughs> and now it's like you literally cannot find like a quiet road. Uh, <laughs> a, well, A, a quiet road, but B, like even an apartment in the spring because like they are all booked out with cyclists so now all the amateurs are going there who are trying to make it pro all the elite riders who like from denmark or whatever they go and live there all spring when the weather's bad where they are and it is mayhem i mean you go on a ride and you probably see three to five hundred riders on on certain roads all day just and so like certain cafes you can't go to because it's all just you know chamois sniffers and you can't have a coffee and quiet and it's you know, it's and I say this and it sounds bad, but actually it's because Girona is so good to ride a bike and it is so comfortable. And for pros, it's great because everything's been done, you know, like, oh, you need to go do a, a blood check for the, the UCI. Oh, go to this place. Even if you don't speak Spanish, point to your team T-shirt. They'll like take the blood and send it to your team. No problem. Or hey, you need moto insurance. You don't speak Catalan like go to this lawyer, he knows how to do the numbers right, and he'll, like, get you the insurances you need for being a foreigner, and just, it's done, you know? And so that's why it's it's really nice, too. There's a community there. That's great. Yeah. So let's talk about Dirty Kanza. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, man. that was The pictures and the visuals. Like, I, two days before, it was scheduled to pour. Yeah. Yeah, we had... And then you guys had 90-degree weather. We were running through all the scenarios, too. Yeah. I got this rad mechanic. He's a good buddy up in, in Tahoe, um, Big Tall Wayne. If you see pictures, it's it's Big Tall Wayne. It's obvious. Um, and he had, like, different mud-shedding sprays. So he would, like... I was up in Tahoe training, and he would spray one thing on half the frame, another spray, like Pledge, actually, which is the winner, on the other half of the frame, and another spray on one wheel, different spray any on the rear wheel. All right, now go out and trash it and ride through every mud puddle you can find. And then we come back and we look at it, and there's, like, certain parts of the bike that were, like, super clean and stuff. So we were trying all that. Yeah, we got we got real scientific with it. And then we didn't need any of it. But, <laughs> but you know for next time. Yeah, yeah, totally, man. <laughs> and that's, like, a whole thing. Like, Kansas was a voyage into the unknown because, like, you know, it was it's it's self-supported you know and you you but there's a lot of logistics because you can't be self-supported for 10 to 24 hours you know the course record is 10 hours um and so like there's only two aid stations and you can only get support there so it's like okay you have to think about what you're going to start with but it's kind of cold in the morning so you don't need that much you've had a big pasta dinner so maybe you don't need that much food but then you have to think about what you get at the next aid station to get you through to the next part and how much water you're going to drink because you can't carry enough for the whole day. So you really have to like kind of ration it and plan exactly how your game plan will go, but also plan for anything to go wrong. And then you get into the race and you realize that like, there's actually like 
the pit stations were the most important and it was like a triathlon zone going through there and i was like going way too slow because i was like oh well i didn't eat that bar and i need this gel but ah that'll be and all of a sudden they were all gone and then i had to chase for like half an hour and it was it was a full-on race and it was actually surprising because it was actually the u.s guys that made it a race because they were all saying the pros are going to ruin gravel and they're all coming to race to win but me and the EF guys in Kiel, like we were having fun. I mean, you're riding hard because you have a number on your back. Like it's a bike race, but like it was actually everyone else treated it more like a race because we were there. And we kind of found ourselves on the back foot, like chasing a lot. And until like luckily our endurance caught up and, and then the end, like we still kind of came to the fore. But it was it was a really unique, cool experience. And it's one where the videos don't do it justice. Like you have to go there and feel it to to get it. Well, that, you're not the first person to tell me that. I've heard yeah. that a lot. No, you I've should. heard that from Yuri. I've heard that from Ali. <laughs> Everybody says it. I saw Yuri at the airport flying back into the Bay Area, and not like, happy. No, he was hurting after that. Oh, one. I don't know, but I just asked him like. Because I still couldn't feel my toes, and it had been 24 hours later. Like, my toes were still numb because you're pushing for so long, and it was hot. (laughs) And I was like, dude, is like I still can't feel my feet. Is this normal? He's like, oh, yeah, dude. Like, normally for me, it takes like three days for them to come back. And I was like, what the hell are we doing to ourselves, man? He had uh, had heat stroke. Oh, man. He loaded up. I think at mile 150, they loaded him full of ice. They (sighs) filled his jersey and his undershirt with ice. Oh, geez. Packed him in ice. And then he went out again. His, his yeah, he temp didn't tell me that. Yeah, he, uh, he's, oh man, he's a monster. Yeah, I mean, yeah. he truly is a monster. <laughs> well, watching you know from afar and and seeing like I was supposed to go this year and you missed out. I missed out. <laughs> I had an injury um, and I wasn't able to do it. I wasn't able to keep training. And watching from afar and you know when the rumor mill started that pro tour riders were going. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of, pers- there, I think there was perception versus reality issues. I think a lot of people thought the team buses were going to show up. There was going to be mm-hmm. full monster support, meaning you guys were going to have yeah everything. So I think that was everybody's fear. Right. That it was going to be like a five-man squad. Right. You know, yeah. dragging somebody there. And it turned out it ended up being... No. Just not not that. You know, and then everybody, as you know, mm-hmm. it's like, Stanton is here. I'm going to show him what's up. Yeah. Right? And people start getting all tough guy puffing chest. And it's yeah. like, dude, you're not good. There's a reason why he's in Europe half the year. Yeah. He's fucking faster than you. <laughs> it's not going to happen. And this happens at every event. It doesn't matter if it's Kansas, if it's a Fondo, whoever's yeah, there. Man. Right? It's, yeah, it's true. I If I show up to a Wednesday night crit for training, like, there's going to be the junior because I was that freaking junior. Like, ha- ask targets Levi, right on your targets. Ask Levi on you. the story of when he and Lance came to tour the Gila and I was the under 23 guy. I talked so much shit. Like, it was unreal. <laughs> they were like, who the hell is this punk? He's like this 21 year old trying to get guys to work together to like attack Lance. <laughs> Just like, you know, because that's Did it work? like, uh, little bit. Yeah. 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 But then they were like, "All right, let's show this kid what's up." And, and they, yeah, then they did. No, they like, yeah, out. yeah, it was it was a good race. Yeah, you'll have to ask Levi the story sometime. But <laughs> I was, yeah, it was a tough twenty year old who thought he could take on Lance and Levi because that was your shot, you know. But and then, so that's what happens as a pro to rider if you show up to local events. You know, you still got to represent, and dudes can fly no matter what level. Like, yeah, there's some fast strong. people out there. Yeah, but they they instantly put a target on you. Oh yeah, they put a target on everybody. They, I've no matter what event I've been at. I see it all the time. I'm mm-hmm. just like, I just want to have fun. Don't you think they would just want to have fun and stuff? Fondo doesn't mean race. Yeah. But people have turned all Fondos into races. Oh, yeah. I was like, th- you do realize you do realize at the end of this Fondo, there is 500 pounds of pork. <laughs> and they, they're not going to finish it before you get there. Right. They, yeah. There'll still be some. If yeah. you finish 30 minutes after the lead rider, it's okay. But they got to win. Guys just want to hammer, man. That's that's okay. I mean, yeah. I love that. Yep. I love going as fast as I can, but I also yeah. I'm after hurting myself, not after trying to chase you. Yeah. But that's I'm I i do not know. That's how you hurt yourself, maybe, you know, depending on who you are and depending that's, on that's the best way to gauge yourself too, you know? Yeah. I, I, I you know, I, like I, how do you compare yourself if you don't have a power meter or whatever? Like it's like you compare yourself by racing other other guys. So, you know, you wanna see how you stack up against against the best. 
and not that I am the best. I, I but just, like you know what I mean. Like that's yeah. That's it's, everybody wants are, to measure their self worth. Yeah, and that's how they do it. And and cycling's so egotistical. Like that's why guys get so much pleasure out of dropping guys on climbs, right? Like it's like this kind of like it's like a dick slinging contest. You know, it, it really is. Like this guy is hurting more than me, and I put him in the box. Like that's cycling, man. Like that's. <laughs> <laughs> It is, and it's. And I mean, you and don't you get like a primitive enjoyment out of that. But also, there's something to be said for being able to suffer mm-hmm. as a cyclist, mm-hmm. and you know there's an end means to that suffering. Yeah, you know all that effort, all that energy, because you want to get from point A to point B mm-hmm. in a certain. You know that there's an end to that means. Yeah, and I think yeah. for a lot of people, there is solace in that suffering. Yeah, type B fun. That's what they call it, right? Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. And I think it's amazing. I think you have definitely, by ju- being part of all these different gravel events, you've made people feel way more comfortable. It's like, you know, when we were all at, uh, which one was it? In Sebastopol, where we ran into each other. Mm-hmm. And everybody was like, hey, what? And, you know, you talk to people. Nobody's afraid to approach you. And I think that's what's really great about cycling. Yeah. It's made it so that... Well, it's communal, like it's right? an everyday. You're an yeah. everyday guy. You put on your pants one leg at a time, unless you're some superhero that can jump up. I and actually have a really secret talent. You know, <laughs> Zoolander ain't got shit on me, man. <laughs> but I think that's that's a perfect example of what makes cycling so amazing. Is that everyday people can walk right up and say hello. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, it is. It's super accessible and. And that's also a big part of the gravel thing is I saw that through, you know, I have my own Fondo event, the prospect, and that's what it was created off of is like the camaraderie of cycling, like ripping it and, and, you know, going hard and doing something that really pushes you, but also celebrating together and the camaraderie of cycling that you achieve this big thing, you know, and, and that's why I want to do these gravel events is because like, yeah, I don't want people to think that like proto riders are just watt robots all the time. Like it's, you know, we... You know, I want to, you know, race hard with my friends, but then I want to drink beers and kick back afterwards. Like, that's why we all fell in love with cycling in the first place, you know, and that's that's my favorite part about it. So. So what are the goals for you for the rest of this year? If you... um, yeah, well, it's just, you know, it's coming up fast. So all of a sudden the tour didn't happen and I recalibrated and uh, it's it's weird because like if the tour is so big, it encompasses everything else in July. There's no other races. So all of a sudden you're like, Oh, I guess I'm on summer break, you know, like, so I, you know, I had 4th of July at home. I had a good time and, uh, now it's all prepping up, ramping for, uh, Leadville and then the tour of Utah and straight to the Vuelta. Nice. And then we'll see, you know, whether there's a world's selection in the cards or the fall Italian races. I don't know. You know, like right now it's just, I'm really looking at the, you know, the Leadville, Utah Vuelta block, which is, that's a big block. So. Yeah, and that's a lot of yeah. training leading up towards that and yeah. a lot of climbing. Yeah, and not a lot of beer, unfortunately. No, not a lot of no. beer. So, like, of all the races you've done, mm-hmm. what has been your most memorable ex- experience? Um, recently, long time ago, good, bad. I mean, whatever you want. It's all on you, man. I mean, I'm sure there's, I mean, and look, we all have those things. It's like, well, then there was that, and then no, there was that one. Yeah, you know, there's like the epic stories of like the Giro and all the snow and stuff and these eight-hour death marches and all <laughs> that. Um, yeah, but, um, and then there's all the fun, fun stories like um, BWR, you know, winning and then just like the whole scene there afterwards and riding with a keg through the brewery and stuff. Like, that's fun. You remember that. Um yeah, winning the Giro with Ryder was cool. That was fun. Um, I mean, you that, know was, what a that fun was big. One was a f- that was really big. Yeah, that was huge. I didn't realize like what a big thing it was. It was like you know, I was a young pro, but to be a part of that and that was yeah, that was rad. And upset everybody. We were such underdogs, man. So wow. how does that work? So everybody, I got a good story. Actually. Okay, uh, my first Grand Tour was the Giro in 2011. It was the final year of Zolmanyan years, which was like this organizer who was a he had a background in theatrics and he didn't actually know cycling he just created these horrible courses in a time when the 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 sport was trying to get cleaner and guys were like just to finish this thing i think we gotta 
take drugs. Like this guy is insane. And guys were calling for his head. So this was his last year, right? <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. This was the last year of Zalmanian and he created this brutal course. And it was one of the big mountain days. And it was like something like 240 kilometers and like, I don't know, like 18,000 feet of vert or something stupid. Just all the famous mountain passes again and again and again. And Conador was in the leader's jersey and the break finally goes and they just start setting this searing pace early on. And I was going really well for my first grand tour. And I remember I got dropped on one of the famous, uh, it's not the Gavi. What's the famous, um, one where they took the picture, Diana. No, no, the, the Jiao, Paso Jiao is super iconic. Right. Um, so I get dropped on that, but that's like the third from the finish. And I, like, there's only like 20 guys in the Peloton at this point. And like, I'm kind of in no man's land. Like, Gruppetto's way back there, other drop riders. Like, the leaders group is just there. So I crest that, descend down, and then we go on to the Paso Fadaya. But instead of just climbing the climb, there's like this crazy little goat path that goes through a canyon that's about three feet wide and just sheer like 100 foot cliffs up either side and like a little river running through it. So we enter that in the canyon, and I'm totally alone. And it's it just like, it was this surreal moment where it's just like, wait, am I still in the Giro, or did I take a wrong turn? Because I'm on a bike path right now. And then you're like climbing, you're like, okay, well, I, I think this is right. And then it, you pop out, and you're like on the pass proper, and you see like one, and then it starts raining, of course. And you see like this one Italian guy on the side of the road, like kind of clapping and you see the mo- the the helicopter getting further and further away with like Contador's group t- disappearing. And then we climbed another climb to the finish that was like 18% or whatever. And, and I was like, I think I was 25th on the stage or something like a decent placing for a mountain stage. And I was like 15 minutes behind the winner of the stage. Just it was so blown out, right? It was like just coming across in ones and twos, and then we had to ride back down the mountain and then 10k to the team buses. So it was like some eight-hour day on the bike with all that climbing, and I had a teammate, Maddie, uh, uh, not Matt White, the other Matt Wilson, the other Aussie. Uh, he was suffering an infection. He was dead last on the day, and I remember him coming up the mountain as I was riding down the final mountain and you just saw death in his eyes. Like they were just black and there, he wasn't even looking up. Fans are pushing him to get him up the mountain and the ambulance was behind him, like the, the broom wagon. And he finally got back to the team bus soaking wet. He probably had nine hours on the bike and he just curled up in all his wet clothes and fell asleep on the floor of the bus. And that was his last day in the gym. <laughs> he didn't start again. <laughs> oh my it God. It was like, that was, that was one of the gnarliest days on the bike. And I mean, that kind of, that really gives a real understanding of what it's like. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, people are, I mean, the winners are going. Oh, yeah. There's like, yeah. and there there's no prisoners. No. <laughs> no. Right? So th- yeah. what do they say? Second place is the first, is first, the first loser. loser. Yeah. It's, in cycling, I mean. Very often, yeah. And I think so much effort is put out there. And you guys put yourself out there for days. Yeah. Day after day. And yeah. I don't think people realize the toll it takes on your body. Racing a Grand Tour is not healthy, man. Like No. No. There's it's not good for you. That's for sure. It's yeah, it's not a healthy activity. Have you ever weighed yourself before and yes. then after? I'm oh, curious yeah. to hear Um so actually I've gained weight in Grand Tours before. Um muscle mass? Yeah, and a little bit of fat because you're so scared you actually overeat and the team chefs do their job well. I mean they they get it going. So and we can eat. I mean, I I love eating. Like this is it's great that we're You definitely out. don't because, look like no, you love eating. Like, my <laughs> second favorite passion is food. Seriously. Like I just yeah, so I, I ride to eat a lot of the time. But um uh I mean, I've gained weight in tours, but a funny thing that at Bobby Julik actually taught me was take a picture, like just standing in your underwear, front and back, take a picture of yourself at the start of a grand tour and after. And you can compare them from 21 days. And it is insane because you actually, you gain a bit of muscle uh, and you lose a lot of fat in places you don't need it. Right. So your body just totally goes into this, this mode where it's like, all right, everything we don't need out, everything we need, bulk it up. 
So it's like, yeah, you can see like in your scapula and your jaw and all that, it just looks like gaunt. Yeah, looks like concentration camp. But then like your legs and all that are like puffy actually with muscle damage and you're holding all that water and yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, it's weird. <laughs> <laughs> That's insane. I re- and actually, so when we won the Giro with Ryder, we partied hard that night. And there's there's no reason why the human can only go for 21. Like, 21 da- stages, that's an arbitrary number, right? Like, maybe a Grand Tour could be 18 or 25 days. Like, it, whatever. It's not a scientific line. And you realize, like, we are, like, sled dogs. Like, you can, as long as you do everything right, I mean, like, you get on the bus, right? You have the right nutrition at the right time. You have the protein shake at this time. You have the massage. You keep your feet up. You do all the recovery, it's so mental. It's just you can keep going and going. But as soon as you have like one night where you like sit down for a long dinner, you'd have a bit of drinks, like all that, your body just totally falls apart and you are just you're wrecked the next day. And I remember so after the Giro, which was my second grand tour, um, the one that Ryder won, sorry. And uh, we went out and we partied. I mean, hell yeah, we just won the Giro. And my body was in that that starvation mode, that super fucked mode of just like hold on to everything because you're going to do this to yourself again. Oh, my god! And so my body f- held on to everything I ate and drank that night. And I woke up probably like 15, 20 pounds heavy. And I, act- I had like muffin top and like stretch marks on my skin and my insides hurt. <laughs> <laughs> and like two days later, I just pissed nonstop for like two hours, just like losing it all because your body's just like, give it all. Like, keep yeah. it, keep it. In yeah. Your- oh, my God. That's it amazing. Is, it is wild. So to, to explain to everybody how, you know, when you guys won yeah. that Giro, how does that, like, I don't think people understand there's there's worker there's it's i mean i kind of explain it to folks and it's kind of Mm -hmm. like queen bee and then all the workers like keeping everything yeah a little bit but like how does that really like are you getting somebody in your ear because i don't think people really know how it works to me i understand it because i've watched it for years i know enough people who've done it Mm -hmm. and but i don't think people realize there's somebody in your ear the whole time there's people well there's yeah there's there's a hierarchy you know and there's there's a guy you know you know has a legit chance at winning you know but it's cycling so much of a team sport that he ain't gonna win without eight other guys dedicated to conserving you're racing three weeks right like i mean three freaking weeks like every bit of energy you use every time you move up on your own and take a bit more win like that's gonna cost you down the road so there's eight other guys dedicated to helping you as best you can get through every part. So every time you dose that energy, it matters. And Ryder was our guy that year. And he was the form of his life. Like no one had seen it coming. And, and uh, we all rallied around him. And um, we had a good group of like kind of Belgian strong men that like we won the team time trial and all the Italians were like, okay, yeah, like you Anglos are all strong, but like, just wait till we get to the mountains. This is Italy. And then, like, we started holding it in the mountains and pissing them off more and more. And, yeah, there was there was some pushing and shoving at some points. Like, they were, they were not – they they weren't happy that we were still in it, you know, like a lot of the lampreys and these these old teams. And um, but and so I was one of the, the mountain specialists for, for riders, me and Christian Vandeveld. And uh, so we would basically survive all of those climbs with him and, and position him and lead him out and string up the pace when he needed it and all that. And it was – cool to be a part of really cool so how does that work so somebody understands what that means so like you set a tempo right and then you've got behind you let's say you know vandeveld and then Ryder. yeah so you just set a pace and is Ryder dictating to you what that pace yeah is? exactly you know it was you know and it's it's almost more of an intuition when you've been doing it long enough like you can he tells you or you know he's good and you know like this is the cr- crucial time like He's like, he's got to go like, this is, this is when it's got to go down the final climb or whatever. So like, you know, he is a better climber than me by, by a smidge. So I'm going to set the pace that I'm going to blow up at. I know it's not sustainable. And a lot of the other guys in the group, it's not sustainable, but for Ryder and a few selected others, they can carry on with that. So basically you got to put everyone into the red. So they are totally on the limit. And then when you are done, you basically just sacrifice yourself. That's what you're doing. You're doing a kamikaze pull, and then you swing off because you don't care about losing time. 
and Ryder is able to up that again, and hopefully no one can stay with him. You know, that's that's how the classic mountain lead out would work. And that's I think for a lot of people watching, I don't think they get that like how far that that lead out guy. I mean, they see it in a sprint. Yeah. Because they they hear about the speed. Right, right, right. But I don't think they understand how much power is really going in to that lead out on that climb. Like you are putting yourself beyond red at certain points. Oh yeah, no, you you go till you see stars and like you don't want to take another pedal stroke. Like you just can't. Like all lactic acid, all systems shutting down. But at least, you know, and, and for me, you know, like, you know, it's finite. Like, you don't have to keep going for 10K. I mean, you do. You have to finish this the day. Yeah. But then but it becomes like, at your pace. Yeah. You, you just, you basically, yeah, you just totally bury yourself to you literally, like, can't take another breath. And you're, like, weaving sideways in dizziness. And then you catch your breath and trundle up to the top of the hill and <laughs> get ready for the next day. <laughs> That's insane. Yeah. Well, I'm going to ask you a couple quick questions and we're going to call it. Cool. Because I got to make you dinner. Yeah, I'm hungry. Okay. So, red or white wine? Red wine, 100%. Okay. Yeah. I already know the answer to this, but um, beer or tequila? Ooh. <laughs> this is this is a hard one. I can't. I really, I love me a good margarita when I'm, when I'm out. It's just got to be a good, clean margarita, just lime, agave, tequila, and maybe a little jalapeno, actually, like a little jalapeno, but... I mean the beer scene right now, and I, I'm, yeah, I love me a good West Coast IPA. Okay, I know, I know you like IPAs. Yeah, I know that. Yeah. So we're gonna go session or hazy. Hazy right now. I don't do hazy. Yeah, well, session that's just low alcohol too. Like I like. Yeah, I like some body. I, I like the I like to be able to have them. But I like it. Yeah. No, I I hear you. But uh, right now. Hazy is a weird thing, you know, because so the the beer I collaborate on with Revision is actually a hazy now, and it's killing it. But I don't like it when they're too juicy. Like sometimes it just feels like you're drinking a glass of orange juice or whatever, and you're like, eh, no, that's not for me. Like I like, I like them. Like you still got to have that body and and the hop profile of like a classic IPA. I'm definitely like a crisp piney IPA guy. But uh, Cascade. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh. And we actually grew hops in our backyard. I've done some home brewing and stuff. It's oh, fun. Cool. Yeah. Um. But uh. No, like right now, uh, I I do like a lot of the hazies that are coming out. So, not the best match for cycling, but no, there's always not. a time and place. You're literally drinking bread. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> so, pasta, ramen. Um, personally, ramen. Yeah, yeah. Beef or pork? Pork you can do a lot more with it. I feel. That's a lot okay. of different. That's very A lot of true. different cuts of pork, you know, and and they're always different. Yeah. Okay. Nigiri sashimi. I don't know the the actual name difference. With rice or without? Oh, with rice. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, sea urchin or caviar? I don't know if I've had a sea urchin. Did we? Well, I don't remember. So I'm gonna go caviar. Then. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we did the whole Pincho hopping tour. In, oh, in, amazing. In Spain, yeah, it was good. Okay. Yeah. Spain, Italy, or France? Spain. Food-wise? Spain. Proper Catalan cooking, like, they're doing some wild stuff right now. Italy's good, not France. Sorry. I've had, I haven't done enough fancy French dining, but it's, it's just butter-laden and divided and, and, Things get interesting and fun in in Spain, and it's a lot. It feels a lot more like hearty country cooking, at least what I've experienced. Um, and the whole pincho scene is fun. Um, and then Italy, it's like it's good. It's so good, but it's always similar. You know, like I could have pasta in Italy every meal, and it's always amazing somehow. But like, yeah, I like I like Spain. It's always divided in Italy. It's always divided by the, the grandma's version. Mm-hmm. But my grandma is almost the same as your grandma's. <laughs> but I would say my grandma is better than your grandma because mm-hmm. that's just the Italian way. Yeah, and yeah. it's all macaroni. Yeah, right. Yeah. Everything's macaroni. <laughs> but it could be the same shape from house to house to house, and every family's got a new name for it. Oh yeah, oh, it's yeah. always that way. <laughs> so, uh, burger or hot dog? Burger. Yep. Normally made myself. 
Nice. Yeah. I mean, in the U.S., we do a good burger, but Europe, they always try to do the burger, and it's just like, it's just lackluster. They don't get it right. And I don't know if it's the meat or the bun, but you it's know, the so blend. I, I, I just, I make it all. I, I make burgers when I'm in Europe. And it's a great race food. I don't care what everyone says. Like, guys think a burger's junk food. And I tell a lot of my teammates this because they think a burger's junk food because it's, it's unhealthy, it's calorie laden, but it's like, wait, it's a whole meal. Like, you got carbs in the bread. You got good protein, especially if you get good lean beef, and you got like veggies and all that on top. Like it's everything right in there. Like I've had great races off a burger. And if if you add like pickles that are fermented, you're getting oh a, there you go. You get a whole slew of good things oh, going yeah. on there. Oh yeah, I think people forget about that. I am all about the pretzel bun right now though. That's really good. yeah. Oh, the texture biting through it, kind of the dense. That's good. Huh? Yeah, I, good old pretzel bun. Yeah. All right, last one: coffee or tea? Coffee. 100%. Espresso or traditional? Traditional. I'm pour over guy. I'm I'm Bay Area hipster now. I like ah! my pour over. Every <laughs> well, the morning. mustache did kind of say that a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking time. I know you're busy. Good luck with all the upcoming events. Thanks. And, this uh, was fun. Yeah. And we'll definitely have some fun uh, this hopefully this fall when you're done with all your racing. Hell yeah, man. All right. Cheers. Cheers.